Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. Well, good morning. <laughs> it's really weak. Good morning. Thank you. I feel a little better. Hey, as we get ready to head into the summer, we have some more time with family, friends, and hopefully our neighbors. We wanted to remind you again of just some of the the core values that as a church family, we've agreed to say, this is who we want to be. This is who we want to be distinctive in terms of. And thinking about the amount of relational time we hope to be having in the next couple months, I want to remind you one of our values. And that's simply this, that we are gospel-focused. And we define that simply this. You'll see it on the screen. It says gospel-focused, that God has greatly changed our lives, and we want everyone to experience his life-changing love. We share the gospel and invite others to join us on this life-giving journey with Christ. And I don't know about you, but through the years, this idea of of inviting and sharing, it it seems to have gotten harder rather than easier over time. And uh, certainly here in this last little season, the the inviting process has been a little bit more difficult. You, You might remember, it seemed like earlier on, I think of the late 90s or early 2000s, it was, seemed to be pretty easy to have people say yes to church, right? Just have a good little cover song and a cool little graphic for your series. And people like, oh, I'm in it. I, I'd like to come be a part of that. Or places like Kentucky, when we're close to the Bible Belt, there's this sense that church and church attendance, it's part of the very cultural fabric of who we are. That was just a little over a decade ago. And research, remember, wasn't too long ago that 75% of Americans identified as being Christian, that was a little over a decade ago. Barney did another little research a little deeper. 40% identified themselves as being born again, evangelical Christians in their life. And you would think that this would be the case. If this was true, then if 75% identified as Christian, right? 40% said, man, they're really in, then our Judeo-Christian values I mean, Christianity should be alive and thriving. We'd see our values everywhere. We'd see it in our school systems. We'd see it in our politics. We'd see it in our entertainment, right? If 75% are in, we're cruising. Here's the problem. I don't know what you, I'm not experiencing that in my world. And I I don't think you are. Where 75% are saying, hey, I'm actually following and believing and living my life that's consistent with that. The opposite is true. Barna just did some research that's really interesting with the reality that culture has changed. And they did some questions to decide not how you identify, because it's easy to identify as something. The question is, what is your life truly demonstrating? And there was 15 little criteria to determine if we have shifted to a post-Christian culture, are we becoming more like Europe and some of these other things? So they asked the survey. In your Lex City notes, uh, I've got the 15 questions that are there, but here's their point. I'll read you just a couple of them. If you answer yes to 60% of these, nine out of the 15, it would say your worldview has moved to a post-Christian worldview. And so some of these criteria include statements like this, of not believing in God, yes or no, right? Believing that Jesus sinned, not giving money to your local church, not attending a small group, not sharing one's faith, and so forth. On and on it goes, those 15 are listed there. And here's the interesting thing that the latest research made a distinction, and they simply said this. Self-identification can be different than actually demonstrating the reality of that identification, right? So it's easy to say, well, yes, that's me, but the reality is our world and our culture isn't experiencing that. If you answered nine yeses out of the 15, you have made a worldview shift to a post-Christian worldview. 
nine out of 15. I don't know about you, I, I know self-identifying Christians who might be getting close to nine out of 15 on the yes. And my point is simply this, that as we think about being gospel-focused and sharing our faith and the incredible things that God has done in our lives, in 2023, we have to think about it differently in a post-Christian culture than we did a decade ago or maybe even earlier than that. We've got to think a little bit different. The message hasn't changed, but the presuppositions that we're starting with has dramatically changed in the life of the people that we go. Most of your friends that are far from God are probably similar to mine. There's a deep mistrust of church and leadership, and probably for good reason on things they see all over media and things like that. We, we've begun there. So here's what we're going to say today, and the Apostle Paul is going to give us some great teaching on this. Because of that mistrust of institutional church, the power of your testimony, the power of your life, the power of the integrity and the love in which you live has never been more important than it is today in a post-Christian culture where we're moving, and there's power in your testimony, and the Apostle Paul is going to remind us how important that is. It's important that you establish these kind of relationships with people. If we were a missionary going to Europe that we define as a post-Christian culture, to our missionaries, we know this. The first thing they're doing in Muslim countries and other places like this, they're investing in authentic relationships with the people before that, right? We're investing long before we're inviting because we know the authenticity of our life are gonna validate the message and the invite that I'm about to share with you, and I wanna encourage you today that that is true with us. You are the city on the hill. You are the light in the darkness. Your testimony is the thing that will create the fertile soil for the seed of the gospel to be shared and spread and received. And so in a new day and age, in a world we live in, I'm just reminded the value of who you are. It hadn't changed much through all time. I mean, Apostle Paul, we're gonna see today, is writing a letter to the church of Corinth. He's gonna say to them the same issues that kind of we're facing, the reminder of this, the importance of their testimony and how their reputation is in their community and their culture becomes so important. And he's gonna say two things to us. Number one, your testimony and your life matters. And number two, we all, this is great powerful, we all share in the process of the harvest. Everyone has a role, everyone plays a part, and everyone matters. And so that's where we're gonna go today. So if you've got your Bibles, turn me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you're new, if you got your phones, you go to lexcity.info, all the sermon notes, that criteria that I listed to you earlier, that's all listed there at lexcity.info. And so as you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter three, the Apostle Paul, right? If you know anything about the Apostle Paul, like he's the original OG in terms of in-your-face preaching. I mean, he's the guy like, you either get right or get out, you know? So here's the Apostle Paul. He's gonna begin his time, his letter to the church of Corinth, and he's gonna call them immature believers who only want milk, he's gonna say. He's gonna rebuke them for creating this disunity amongst the body because they're fighting over which celebrity preacher would be the best preacher to lead the church of Corinth in this time. They can't decide if they want Paul, if they want Apollos, or if they want Peter. And Paul is just gonna slam them and say, listen, man, you all are talking big, but you're living small. Apostle Paul. So let's dig in. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. What a great way to start the message, right? I feed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while 
there, there is jealousy and strife among you, and you are not of the flesh or behaving only in a human way. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, you are not being merely human, right? So here's this, what a great way to start kind of win the crowd over, right? You're spiritually immature infants. All you can handle is milk, right? You, you're judging and you're selecting your pastors on the same criteria as the, in a human way, right? So this is creating division and jealousy. You're spiritually mature. This is what he says is interesting. You're spiritually mature, not because you're young in your faith. You're milk drinkers because your faith that has not produced discernment, the ability to determine the difference between good and evil. Says, that's what maturity all is about. As we think about that idea, I was reminded of Hebrews chapter 5 talks about this idea of, of milk versus solid food. And in Hebrews chapter 5, it's dealing with this, this issue of apostasy. Those that had said, I'm a follower of Christ, and now have turned and rejected the things of God. 2023, what would we call it? Deconstructing our faith, right? This is the, the big hot topic of the day and different things. And so he says, Paul says, listen, for those that are doing that, I'm just going to tell you, it's evidence that you're spiritually mature, you're milk drinkers. Here's what he says, Hebrews chapter 5. About this, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish what? Good from evil. What's evidence of maturity in your life? Your ability to discern what is good from what is evil. 2023, we somehow have taken issues that are biblical issues and made them political issues so we can justify our position on those things, right? Paul's saying, listen, there are biblical truths that superintend all of these things, and it's your ability and your capacity to discern what is good versus what is evil that really gives evidence to a maturity in your heart. And when you can't, this is what he's telling the church in Corinth, and when you can't distinguish what is good and evil in your culture and it all muddies to a gray, he says you're hurting your witness because you're just like the world. There's no distinction. There's no integrity of the things that's different. So he says number one is, Maturity comes through those that are ability to distinguish. And number two, he says, maturity is demonstrated through unity. It's crazy. First Corinthians 3, what he's admonishing the church about is this. They were getting divided on their, on their adorations of their version of celebrity pastors, right? They were divided over, oh, I want this guy. I want Apollos. Oh, no, man, I want Paul. No, I want Peter. And all of a sudden, there is not unity in, in the church. You can just imagine, well, man, I want, he's a lot better storyteller. Oh, I don't want him. He speaks too long. I can imagine who this is about. Oh, their tone. The tone's a little rough. He offends me every Sunday as he goes this way, right? Or are they younger? They're hipper. Or, or they're just cooler. You know what? And here's them. The comparing, and they're comparing, and they're comparing. And in that comparing, their eyes have changed. And Paul's saying, man, you're judging just like the world judges, and it's creating disunity amongst us. Paul's going to remind them just context, right? These are not celebrities. These are assigned servants to the work of God. So don't judge them by their charisma. Judge them by their calling and judge them by their character. And in there, you'll find unity. 
So Paul's gonna remind us again as we jump in today, primary purpose of the church. This is why we exist. This is why you and I show up every Sunday. You can be a thousand other places today. Thank you for being here. But why do you show up? Why do we do this thing together? Paul's gonna say, let me just remind you a little bit of what is primary and why we, why we do this, what unites us, what makes us one. We're on this missional movement, Paul's gonna say. Servants on a missional movement empowered by God himself. And Paul's gonna say at the end of the day, can we remind her, don't get arrogant about yourself, that the hero of the story is always Jesus. He's gonna use you, but the moment you become the hero, the moment Paul, Paulus, Peter become the hero of the story, you have, you have, your, your attention is in the wrong place. So let's jump in. Verse five, this is the strategy on how we're gonna reach a, a post-Christian world. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you have believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Paulus watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive their wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. The vision to reach the lost world around us Man, this is what unites us. This is what excites us together. Paul and Apollos, they're on the same team. Don't try to split them apart. They have different functions. They have different gifts. They're doing different things, but they're all moving to the same purpose. In fact, if they both play their roles together, he makes this point, they actually will be rewarded together for the things that God has done through them. Same is true with us. Paul's gonna give us this imagery, right, of, of an agricultural imagery. He says to the church, can I just remind you of your role? You're a field. You're a building. A field that everyone works in. A field that everybody does different parts in the field to prepare it. And as a result of the work that we all do together, it should, with expectation, produce fruit if we're doing it well together. So that's been the mission, right, of the church since Acts chapter 2, right? That we are in the business of, of sowing seeds, cultivating the soil, watering the plants and harvesting the fruit. But, Paul says, in the midst of that, just check yourself a little bit. That's the role we play, but never forget that the giver of life, the producer of growth, the saver of souls is solely God himself. Paul says, I wanna make sure that you don't forget that. Don't get prideful in this, in who you are, and forget the fact that God is the one who produces all that we experience. Paul, Apollos, Peter are important, but they're simply servant laborers, servants that have a role in the harvest. So let me give you today, just in our time, let me give you three roles or three things that are true that we can learn from the harvest that relate to where we are. Number one is this, that we all have different ministries, right? Some plow, others sow the seed, some water the seeds as they're there. As time grows, plants grow. Some are involved in the harvest process, but all are labors that reap together in the harvest. And as we move, and if we haven't already moved to a post-Christian culture, can I remind you our evangelism efforts, the preparation of the soil becomes more and more important. The authenticity of your life and the relationships you have become critical preparing the soil for the gospel. 
it's becoming harder and harder to invite somebody, even the church, this is what I've experienced, probably you've seen, in the absence of a relationship. The old days of, man, I remember we used to do door-to-door, cold calls and all that. It's harder now today. The need for the relationship and the connection and the authenticity is for that. Because we're not starting at an even ground, right? There is a negative bias towards institutional church now more than ever before. So it goes back to Paul's say, the reality of your life and the love and the grace and the discernment and how you live your life becomes more important because that's the thing that knocks down the bias and creates a way in the post-Christian world. This idea of, again, that's what overcomes those objections. So your commitment, right? I think even what we do together, your commitment to church becomes so important because they have to see it's important to you before it's gonna be important to me. I look at your life and it seems like just one of many things you do that's not that big of a deal. Why would I wanna do it, right? I'm asking why, what? Show me that this thing is real. The beauty is when we can live this kind of life, we knock down walls, we create such a wonderful soil for the gospel to be shared. So Paul says, listen, we have different roles, but we're all a witness. Everybody has a part. Number two, that we find unity in our purpose. Go back to verse eight and you look and make special note to say, listen, the one who plants... And the one who waters, they're all one, right? There's unity in what we're doing together. Paul and Apollos are not competing against one another. They're working together for the greater cause for what they have. They have a unique assignment given to them through the power and the lordship of Jesus Christ on their life. There's a unique thing, but what we both do, if we both do our parts, we do it together. We have one purpose, one ministry, one unity in the spirit. Lexington Church, right? We exist to know follow, and share Jesus. It's what unites us. So we've been blessed, right? Trying to do our part. God's been gracious to us. So we've had over 60 folks uh, make professions of faith since January here, which is just an exciting thing that we get. And so here's the wonderful part, right? When I say it, we, we get to not only celebrate that, what an amazing thing, but we get united around that purpose. Like what we're doing matters, Our meeting together every week has impact in such a powerful way. So we celebrate, but we also are united about that. It's the fruit of the labors, right? Why do you come? Why do you show up? Why do you give? Why do you serve? That you can see the harvest. So my encouragement is, God's allowing us to see some of those things. And you think about it, how we all play this role. Phase one of that process, right? You're investing into a relationship. And you're having these conversations, you're doing life together, you're, you're spending relational change to say, hey, would you come to church? And they, through great courage, some of you, I met new folks here last week, great courage, risk all to come into church. That's not an easy thing. If you did not grow up in church, you understand more. Some of us that grew up in church, you don't understand. Like there's courage, vulnerability to come to these doors for the very first time. And so they risk it and they come. We all are part creating the soil. So some of you, about 150 of you every week, volunteer. You come early to church to volunteer in different places. Listen, you could just come to church and leave and do your own thing and be completely independent, come when it's ever convenient. But you graciously sign on the bottom line, say, man, I'm here, I'm committed, so I'm gonna go to service and I'm gonna serve one of those hours and it makes such a difference. So now you begin to, plow the soil that's there. So now when that new visitor who comes can't figure out why all the cars are driving on the side of the building and going to the back, but somebody in our wonderful, gracious parking team 
gives them a little smile. Oh, okay, I guess I'm going the right way, right? They get out of the car, 100 yards of fear and trepidation, and they go to the front door, and there is a greeter there, hopefully looks like them a little bit. They can see themselves at our church. and say, oh, I'm, I'm good. They smiled at me. I've made this first step into the doorway, right? These first five minutes are critical. They've made tons of assessments. Do you remember your first time here? Then, if they have kids, this is a game changer, they drop their kids off at Kid City, right? They're evaluating, is this place clean? Is it organized? Is it safe? Is the person I dropped my kid off kind of creepy? Or are they okay? Am I gonna be all right? Can I trust? Big deal. I'm either put at ease, right? I've dropped my students off at youth. Are they nice or are the mean girls there? You have not even walked into this room yet. And you've made assessments. And we, together, by simply volunteering and giving of our time, have cultivated the soil before they even roll in. They roll into the worship center and now the, the music's going and the, product, you know, the program's happening and they're just simply making the assessment. Do you seem to care? Have you put some effort into this? Does it seem to be intentional or are you just kind of wasting my time? You know, they're evaluating those kind of things. Uh, we had a, a guest that came on Mother's Day, so they're, sta they're standing here in worship. Listen, they don't know any of the songs. She's not singing any songs. What is she doing? Looking around. She's determining, do the people who call this home and are regularly, are they engaged in the process? Do they believe what they're singing? Or are they just going to motions, right? They're looking. They're evaluating. We move to the next point of the preacher, the teacher that's on here. Now listen. They've made a ton of decisions long before the gospel or any word has ever been spoken. So the teaching comes and they're simply asking the question, is this person trustworthy? Do they seem genuine or is this a televangelist? Is this all, you know, these kind of things. You share the gospel, questions running their mind. Is it clear? Do I understand what I should do? Do I understand what my need is for Jesus? I think I've got this clear. So we have a prayer team that comes through, wonderful volunteers like you, and after the service, they have this wonderful moment of risk. Will I go down and talk with somebody? Does the person I come down to, are they approachable? Because I'm gonna ask a question I think is really dumb, and I'm sure everybody else in the room knew it, but I don't know it, and they shouldn't know it because they're just new in their faith, but they come down, they're met with some authentic person who doesn't judge them, who hears them where they are, God moves in their hearts, right? They pray, they receive Christ, they have this moment. We have the joy then of growing them in their faith and they head to a starting point class led by our wonderful volunteers who say, hey, let's just, no questions out of bounds, let's just talk, have a conversation about faith. They join a life group. They walk in the life group. Here's a question they're asking. Do the people who seem really normal, just like me, do they believe what I hear the preacher talk about or is there a disconnect between what he's saying and how I see them living, Right? Is this real? Is this authentic? Will it change my life? And what unites us is this, is that we all, there's not one person, there's not Peter, Paul, Apollos, Brian, whoever, not one person does this. It's what we do together as a family that unites us. You come on a Sunday morning for something greater than yourself. This is not about you consuming, it's about you contributing. And every time you show up, it matters. And you may not be serving that week, but when you worship with authenticity, it matters because the friend we had last week doesn't know the words. They're just looking around to see, do you believe it? Because if you don't believe it, I don't know if I can believe it. But if you believe it, maybe I ought to take a little closer look along this. And Paul says, don't forget, man, that's what unites us. That's what puts us together. Because listen, if one of us drops it, it 
it all falls apart. If I have a terrible children's thing, I'm not listening to any of the words that are shared. I'm just agitated that my kids couldn't get in the class and I'm wondering about if they're okay, right? If I'm here, you, it doesn't do any good. If all we do is plow the dirt and nobody plants a seed, all we have is really beautiful dark dirt. And if somebody plants the seed but nobody bothers to water, it just withers up over time and we've wasted resources on a wonderful seed. And if the seed grows and produces fruit and nobody harvests the fruit and it just rots on the vine, we've wasted the process. My point is everybody, everybody plays a role. And what you do matters. And when you show up, it matters. And Paul says, man, not doesn't just only matter, but it unites us in spirit and the things that we can do together. And this only happens, listen, this only happens if you prioritize gathering together there's a thousand distractions to keep you from church I'm just saying when you make it a priority when you say listen it's not just about me I'm willing to serve and be in service these are the things that make a difference when we pray when we financially support unity comes when we are all on mission together when we are simply not consuming but we're contributing and you say hey this is my role the church is the field. This is my role, God. I'll play my role, trusting you for the next thing and see what you will do in a mighty way. Number three, I gotta keep moving on. Number three is this, is that we grow in humility of spirit. Paul makes emphasis to the church of Corinth. You're getting a little too thrilled with yourself. You're not any special. You are simply the field. You are the building. It is God who gives the increase. It is God who draws people to himself. It is God who saves. You play a role and you are important, but be reminded that you need to enter in this with humility of spirit, that we get the joy to be a part of seeing lives transformed, but it is God who does it. And the Corinthians were beginning to be proud. Look who we are. Look, at we got all the celebrity. We got the big dog, three speakers that are here that we're pretty special. God says, listen, when pride slides in, two things happen. Not only does it create division in the church, but it steals the glory from God. Isaiah 42, 8 says this. I am the Lord, and that is my name. My glory I give to no one, nor my praise to carved idols. Humility of spirit grows together when we're reminded of the role we play. That we are humble laborers with a divine, miraculous assignment by the God of the universe. But at the end of the day, Jesus is the hero of the story. It's not Lex City. It's not leadership. It's not. Jesus is the hero of the story. So today, we're going to get in just a few moments to celebrate baptism. And you're going to get to hear some wonderful stories of transformation. And listen, I hope it does a couple things for you. I hope it encourages your heart. For some of these, these are people who have been in your small groups. These are folks who have been in your student ministries. These have been in your small. I hope there's a part of your heart that says, man, God, how cool. I got to be a part of this. I got to be a small part of watering or plowing or creating the soil. I hope it does. Hope as a church family, when you hear these stories, it just unites us, reminds us why we do what we do, why you show up, why you serve, why you give, you do for something greater than yourselves to see lives transformed 
and change because together we're gospel focused in what we do. But at the end of the day, there's only one hero of the story. There's only one person who creates growth and transformation and life change and his name is Jesus. And he receives all the glory and all the honor for what we're about to experience. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for today for just a simple but profound reminder that one of the things you put in our heart as a church is to be gospel-focused. That the experience and life change that we have experienced in our own life, that we would have the courage and the boldness and the authenticity to be willing to share that with others. And in a time in our country where it breaks our heart, but we have moved to a post-Christian mindset, God, we're reminded the same words that were told in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. That the key to a heart of evangelism is the authenticity of our life that we live before the people that we do life with every day. To be reminded in our own hearts that spiritual maturity is the ability to discern what is good and what is evil and in truth and in love be able to stand for those things. God, today we celebrate with those that are coming forth in baptism who have placed their faith in you and now are just making that profession of faith that's saying, today I want to be known as a follower of Jesus. Thank you for the gift that we got as a church family to be a part of this story. But we thank you that you are the creator of all things. In your name we pray, amen. Here's some of the stories that we do what we do together for. Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church/give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.